Boom. <laughs> Score. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Victory. Quite a news cycle for the Royals. We learn the franchise may have a new owner by the end of 2019. John Sherman, who owns a minority stake in the Cleveland Indians, has emerged as a replacement for David Glass. Star columnist Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian stop by to talk about this latest major development for the Royals on Sportsbeat KC, the sports podcast of the Kansas City Star, and presented by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff, and it's Wednesday, August 28th. Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian are here, and, and guys, I thought the most interesting thing that happened to the Royals this week was the pitching debuts of Alex Gordon <laughs> and Humberto Arteaga. Uh, turns out that's at least second right. this week um, because of the news that came down a, a day or two later that, uh, that there have been conversations between uh, the Glass family and John Sherman for the potential change in ownership of the Kansas City Royals. No small thing, a change in ownership. Uh, if, if this is indeed on track to occur, let's, let's talk about what this would mean for the baseball operations and how, how the Kansas City Royals might be operated, might appear uh, different than, than they do now. Sam, you wrote a column uh, about it, I thought it was a terrific column that appeared in today's paper. How about um, how about your thoughts on what what this means? It means everything, really, to the Royals. But what, in a practical uh, application, what does it mean? It's the second time in the history of the franchise that ownership will change, right? Uh, I know that there was some. You know, you get into the weeds with Ewan Kaufman and the um, you know the real the, estate the, guy whose name is escaping me right now that. Bought into 49% that there's the one. Um, and then there's the board of directors. But basically, Ewing Kaufman and David Glass have been in charge of the Royals since day one. And now it'll be another person. Three three people in, in more than a half a century. Um, I'm trying to answer that question with some reporting this week about how, how it'll be different on the, the baseball operations. Um, a couple things we know. Um, he's from here. Uh, he is of here. I think that's important. Um He's a minority investor in the Indians. Uh, I think that's important. He's he's into baseball. Baseball is a love of his. It's a passion of his. Um, you know, people, and I, I do hope to have more in a story that will be in Sunday's paper and uh, hopefully online before that. Uh, but people so far that I'm talking to that know him describe him as uh, meticulous. They describe him as, uh, you know, not flashy, you know, sort of more of a, a substance over style guy. Um, I think you see that in that not much is known about him publicly. Um, he made his money in energy, natural gas, uh, started and developed two companies that, uh, you know, one of them has since merged. And but I mean, basically, these are wildly successful, you know, revenues into the billions um, type of companies. Uh, but, you know, the kind of baseball fan that that reads nerdy, and I mean that in a good way, like nerdy baseball books, <laughs> um, wants to talk baseball and can talk. Um, I've talked to people who, you know, I talk to baseball. I talk baseball with John all the time. And, oh, what do you talk about? It's more about business, you know, the business side of baseball. But it's, that's coming from somebody who's in business and not necessarily baseball. I talk to baseball with John all the time. Oh, what do you talk about? Oh, then this person's just a fan. He's like, we talk about like a home run that we saw last night, you know, a moment. I mean, he's got sort of 
Um, th- that's the picture I'm getting so far. As far as like how baseball operations will change, um, I don't know that it will significantly um, one way or the other. There, there's some people that'll tell you, you know, he'll, he'll spend a little bit more to, to bring a winner regardless of, of what it does to his own finances. I've talked to other people who say, no, it's going to be pretty much the same. Like we're going to try and operate, you know, um, the, the way that we always have. So I don't know. And, and I don't think anybody can be certain of that right now. And we won't even be certain of that when this deal is done. We can only know that three years, five years down the road. And we think based on who you've talked to and other things I've read that it could be done as early as by the end of 2019. By the end of this calendar year, that's what um, that's what I'm hearing. And again, that's could, not will. Um, but it seems like they've gone pretty far down the road on this. And you know, there's there's some owner meetings in November. Um, that could be a time that I think that's the next time that the owners will be together. Um, so that's it's it's accelerated. It's accelerated. Don't you think, Vahe, that any kind of any time there's a change in ownership, it is it's potentially frightening, right? I mean, there's I, just just give you. I'm going to give you. I know you're not of Kansas City and haven't been here for about five or six years, but every time there's been an ownership change in Kansas City professional sports history or major league sports history, um, it's followed by bad news. Uh, except for the 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 glasses taking over from from Ewing Kaufman, but. When the when the Kings were sold to a Sacramento business, you know, group, they up and left. And when Charlie Finley bought the A's from Arnold Johnson, who brought him here from Philadelphia, the A's up and left. And that it's just what happens when a new owner takes over. It's that's the that's, that's the frightening aspect of it. But it just seems like I don't get that sense with with in this case. I I don't either. And of course, it does. It, Based on the experience and also just the the dynamics of a change like this, it does send a little tremor through first, right? But if you look at his profile, or at least what we know of his profile, he is really invested in Kansas City culturally um, in terms of being on on such boards as the the Kauffman Center, uh, the National World War I Museum, um, uh, a couple others, uh, the the Truman Presidential Library. All these things, these are very Kansas City things. so I, perhaps superficially, I, I don't feel like a, a, any sort of real concern that, that he's got some notion in mind to do something like that. Um, one other thing I wanted to go back to, though, too, that, that Sam was alluding to, it's a little bit trying to understand you know, what, where he might be coming from in how he runs the business. And it was interesting to me, one of the things I came across last night was a, a Cleveland Plain Dealer story from last year that had somewhat of an extensive interview with him and with, uh, with uh, is it Paul Dolan? Um, I think, the CEO. Yeah. yeah. And he referred to uh, John Sherman as his partner and got into um, how much, how much he was involved in some the business decisions, things like the Edwin Encarnacion deal that he had input on that and some other things that they seemed to Splurge might be too strong, but show a willingness to spend money on. Whether that you know picks up and applies over here in, in the model, it, it's tough to say. And I think Sam could speak to this better than I can. I'm sure you can too, Blair. But rather than a, than a thought about whether the franchise would be up and moved, I, I do wonder how do we know what a new owner would think of the current administration? I mean, just, you know, 
business as usual, faith and faith and Dayton more. I seems like that would be logical that they would, but you know, here they are. You might have gotten into this in your column a little bit, I think, Sam. You know, Dayton's sort of set about a new new charting a new course or at least a restart course. Um, how does that how does that play into all this? Yeah, I mean I think there's um part of this is a different level of what you just talked about, Blair, about, you know, uncertainty. Um that the kind of uncertainty you're talking about is are they gonna move to Montreal or whatever? Yeah, and right. um, Vegas the yeah. baseball team. <laughs> you know, I always say like I'm not shocked by much, but I would be shocked if a guy that, you know, was involved in all, you know, Teach for America, Kansas City, and, you know, the Nelson Act, you know, like all this stuff. And then he lives 15 minutes from the stadium, and now he's going to move him to... I, I want to take that off the table yeah, immediately. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think you can if, and, if this is the transition. And that is part of why, even without knowing whether he will be willing to do, um, you know, the... the uh, shoot, the 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 Tigers owner um, that that you know spent wildly above Illich, uh, Mike Illich, the the Little Caesars guy, right? Yep. Um, you know, to spend wildly above the the revenue that the team was bringing in just because he wanted to win. I don't or Ewan Kaufman in the in you know in his later years, uh, which you know didn't work out obviously. But um, even regardless of all that, this is about the best possible news of you know the post glass Royals um, and, and not just because this guy is 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 of here I mean he will be a local owner he will be a local owner of the baseball team we have not had a local owner um, you know the Cliff Illig and you know and the, and the Cerner guys um, but from the Chiefs and the Royals um, we we haven't had it since Ewing Kaufman right um, and I think that that matters on some level, you know, if, if you've complained about that or worried about that or thought that that was holding um, either franchise back over the years like that, that is a that is a plus. Um, it, it's also because he's been doing it, um, you know, and you just talked about this, Vahe, but like, I mean, he's been involved with a major league baseball team and, you know, he he's not 51 percent. But still, I mean, that matters. I mean, he's he's done the work, you know, like if you if you're looking to hire a, a head coach, like you look for previous experience a lot of times. And, and it's just it's hard to imagine somebody with, you know, just at least superficially here, um, a better set of credentials from here has been involved in the business, uh, you know, uh, loves the sport, you know, is not going to look at this, you know, I'm sure he doesn't want to take a bath financially all the time, but you know, in some ways just, he's been a Royal season ticket holder. Like he's, right. you know, uh, he goes to games. Um, he has a suite at Arrowhead. I mean, this is a guy that that's into sports and is going to look at it, you know, at least somewhat through the, through the eyes of a fan. By the way, just a quick aside in a way, it's just sort of a, a cute anecdote, but in a way it's, it's perhaps telling, um, when he was, chairman of the search committee for the next CEO of the Kauffman Center, uh, one of the things he said was that, that they sought people who had the vision of Ewing Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought that that sort of comes a little full circle here at, in an interesting way to speculate about whether that vision applies to how he see yeah. whatever it is, his responsibility, duty yeah. is to this community and the baseball team. Yeah. And it, if I can say there's one thing real quick, again, I guess, I sort of said this earlier, but we won't know. This is early days, and you know he hasn't talked publicly, and he probably won't. 
And to be honest, like probably shouldn't until that thing is is signed and the ink is dry and and all that stuff. We will learn much more when when he starts to talk publicly about what his intentions are and his vision. Uh, but even then, we won't. You know, that's just a small piece of the pie. We'll know a lot more. You know, it's like judging a draft class. You know, you, you, three to five years and and see. You know, it's one thing to say something. Let's see. You know, kind of how he operates. But just again, superficially, this seems like the absolute best case scenario for a post glass Royals. Well, and I also like that his, um, his other experience in Major League Baseball has been with the organization that the Royals have been chasing for the last right. <laughs> three years. Yeah, do bring, what they did. Right. <laughs> bring that intel here yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. to Kansas City. Um, let's, our, our friends at Deep Background, uh, with Dave Helling, uh, Steve Vockrot, and Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy, are going to get into this particular topic on, on a bigger level, please uh, listen to Deep Background for some more information on stadium issue. And that's that seems to be a sort of the second day topic uh, in, 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 in in old school newspaper, the PM story, you know, the afternoon story. Um, yeah, yeah, we all laugh. Afternoon paper. <laughs> Uh, uh, but it, it, it's it's it, it's rekindled the the topic of a downtown ballpark. This uh, the, the possibility of the of the owner transactions uh, transition. Um, it, it's way again. It, it's way too early to talk about something like this. But the lease is up. In is it twenty thirty one? This is about the time where you know those discussions. You, you can't wait till twenty thirty. To, to make a decision on that. Right. And I, I think this is about, you know, in the next two to five years, you know, you, you better you better have something concrete. And look, like, th- there are years to go on this. Uh, but my sense has been, um, and this is not a guess, um, but that the appetite inside the organization for a downtown ballpark is much bigger. You know, they, they are much more interested in doing that than the last time around. And part of the reason why it didn't happen the last time around was the owner didn't want it. He liked where it is. And, you know, that's that's where he wanted to be. And so all this talk of anything else was sort of a moot point. And my sense is that that John Sherman is interested and, you know, willing to, you know, to explore that to its fullest extent. One quick point of clarification. I, I think you actually said this in as many words, but. The point you're making is the enthusiasm within the organization other than the ownership. Yes, below the, the ownership. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've written about this topic too, Sam, um, a TV contract for the Royals. They are at the doorstep of – they need a new one. Yep. And do you think that um, uh, some of this that may have been going on in the in the background has delayed at least any kind of decision or uh, – the Royals don't know – we don't know – what the Royals TV contract is going to be for next year, and that is such an important piece of their financial future. Yeah, sure. It it, it sounds like um, Jeff Flanagan had a piece um, MLB.com last week, and you know the 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 financial sort of realm for them has always been about fifty ish million a year, a year right, which would be twice what they're getting now, and almost three times what they were getting at the beginning of the current contract. Um, so it's it's an instant bump. Um, that thing has been delayed for a million reasons. Um, but I, I don't think the ownership question has been a huge part of that. Uh, it's been more, you know, the the TV side 
of this has been in upheaval of, you know, companies merging and, you know, nobody knowing who's the real boss and all that. I mean, there's just been a lot of really, you know, giant and fast moving parts on that. But that is um, absolutely, you know, like, I mean, you just said this, it's the single most important revenue stream that the Royals have. And they're, they're not going to be in a position to compete with the Dodgers or Cubs or whatever, but they will at least, you know, end the days of being 50 games out of first place in, you know, in, in the TV money. Okay. And, and I would imagine, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I would imagine somewhat similar to, you know, in 2006, um, Dayton Moore's hired days before the draft and it's the only time that, and I think this is still true, right? The only time that the that the Royals had won one, and um, and but he he would not officially take the job until after the draft because he'd been working with the Braves, didn't think that was right, and all that. But the the Royals sure went from leaning heavily on Andrew Miller to taking Luke Hochaver. I would imagine, you know, somewhat analogous. I don't think they signed that deal if John Sherman doesn't think it's it's the right move. Just just a quick thought that that. May, may not exactly apply, but I do wonder, does the value of the Royals change with, with a purchase? In other words, the perception of them as, a, as worth a billion dollars, if that's really the right number, right? That's what For, Forbes, uh, if anything, Forbes has usually, the, the estimates have been lower than what the, the purchase price has ended up. So, and did, uh, was the, the glass purchase like 225 million? No, it was 96. Oh gosh. <laughs> right. I wonder what right. the 220, oh, that might've been the last value. Oh, that was, that was an Indians figure. I was, yeah, that was 96 million in April of 2000. Okay. And the Indians were purchased, I think for 225, right around that, whatever that purchase was. Anyway, I'm just telling you where that number came from. It wasn't that random. Um, <laughs> But so, so 10 times as much. Does, does the actual transaction, a purchase, enhance the club's value? By, we've now said, okay, yeah, they paid a billion dollars. It's more valuable. Therefore, it's a better TV commodity. I don't know. Maybe losing 100 games back-to-back seasons is a more uh, pivotal force one, in this. One thing that, that I've learned about TV contracts over these last few years is that um, a lot of factors that – that I or you might think are really important in these things just aren't. It's a lot. Most of it, the lion's share is just formulaic. It's how many TV sets are in your immediate market. And then secondarily, how many TV sets are sort of in the region. And that's pretty much it. They, it the, um, um, the TV ratings matter a little bit, but not, you know, networks would, would kind of rather have, um, you know, a big pond than a big fish, right, sort of, right. you know, it's, it's the potential audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, winning doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but not so much because these are 10 to 15 year contracts a lot of times. So it doesn't really matter what you did last season or what you're doing right now. It's a lot of it is formulaic. I think in the, the uh, terms of a TV deal, uh, you know, ideally a team will sign a, you know, 10 to 15 or whatever TV deal. And I think that the TV partner in this case, kind of, kind of rolls the dice and hopes that the team will be good at some point in that, especially if it's a small market like the uh-huh. Royals, and they will maximize those numbers. You know, there's a, there's like 900,000 TV households in Kansas City. Their ratings were phenomenal in 
they're, they're still good for, for a team that loses as much as the Royals, but in 15-16, they were just phenomenal, which means the Royals were maximizing their exposure. Yep. And you know if the re- renegotiation had come up then, I think the Royals would have cashed in pretty big. Yeah, it, it would have been bigger, but not... Um, you know, we're not would, talking would, about would, would like eighty million a year. No, it wouldn't have been yeah. Boston big. Instead or, of fifty, maybe it's fifty-five or something like. Which you know, <laughs> five million dollars. <laughs> you know, you can get a middle reliever or whatever. Right. So yeah, but it's it's just I've I've been surprised at that that over and over. I mean, to the point where like the first time I heard that, I was like, nah, I don't know if I should be trusting this person because that doesn't make any sense. But then you hear it two, three, four times from the people that, that live in this world. And, well, okay, I. <laughs> I guess that makes sense on some level. All right, let, let's uh, let's wind down this part of Sports BKC with a with this question. Answering this question, um, one of the reasons that this came as a l- little bit of a surprise was um, the prospective owner is not Dan Glass. Yeah. And what what to take us through that? Uh, what you know about uh, about that situation? Yeah, I mean Dan has been the president. Um, club president since day one of of his father's purchase and has been involved. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got into this a little bit in the column and um, I hope I don't <laughs> miss, you know, I, I'm trying to choose my words per, uh, carefully here. Dan Glass um, developed a bad reputation in, in the office and, and around baseball in some ways when he was you know, getting a little over-involved in, in the eyes of many in, in base, like real baseball decisions. Um, backed off of that, backed away from the club a little bit, still had the president's title. And then in, in more recent years and just vaguely three to five to seven-ish years, um, has been more involved and, and is kind of, you know, uh, at least what I would consider a classic president role. Like um, all the VPs report to him. And if there's a problem, they go to him. And he's sort of a liaison between that level and, and the owner. And has, has been much better thought of, you know, at least in the office and by extension a little bit around baseball because of that. And he stayed out of baseball decisions. But you're right, like there's a lot of people inside the organization that thought Dan is the next guy. And that was not viewed as a positive, you know. Um, and I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding insulting. I don't mean this insulting Dan from, from what I can tell he's, you know, treats people well, nice guy, you know, all that stuff. But you know, when it comes to business, you're either you ownership material or you're not. And I just, I know there were people inside the organization that just thought, man, this, if, if, if Dan's going to be the guy, like it's, that could be a problem. And, you know, maybe Dan, I've also heard from some people, maybe Dan didn't want the job, you know, um, and, and, but either way, whether it's dancing, I don't know. Um, and I've heard people speculate that, um, and the speculation, but these are people that know Dan and work with Dan think, you know what, maybe, um, if his dad wasn't going to be involved, maybe that was it for him, mm. you know, and let's, let's move on and, and do something else. Now, you know, it's, it's a bit of an easier decision when, you know, the, the result of that means a billion dollars into your family, you know, minus the state taxes or whatever. But I think we can't understate that yeah. or overstate that point, right? I mean, yeah. the implications of this are quite fine for Dan Glass. Yes. Right? I mean, I, I think that, that in some way he'll benefit from yeah. the, the He's uh, gonna eat. $900 million <laughs> uh, uh, profit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, whether, whether that was Dan saying, I don't want the job, yeah. um, I, you know, that's not for me or whether it's David saying, you know what, like this is a, an institution here and we need to give somebody that has the kind of experience of John Sherman, um, whatever. 
this is a really good thing. This is a really good thing. You know, we may never know the, you know, the essential truth of that, but it would be so interesting to know, right, at how, they, yeah. how those talks went between yeah. them. Like, yeah. son, or <laughs> dad, I don't think. I, yeah. I, it'd be yeah. fascinating. And, and Dan, um, he's involved in other stuff, too. Um, he, he's got some, uh, you know, charitable interests and, and, and you know, activities. And, uh, and his wife does, too, from what I understand. So maybe, you know, he is, I think, about 60 years old. Uh, you know, that's a lot to take on. Uh, maybe he'd rather, you know, kind of, you know, do the charities and, and be involved that way. That makes sense. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break. And we'll be back after this. The biggest tire sale of the year could only happen at Big O Tires, but you've only got two weeks to get two free tires. That's right, two free tires when you buy two, now at Big O Tires through September 9th. Just buy two select tires and you'll receive two free with the purchase of a one-year alignment and tire protection package. That's half off your tires at Big O Tires. It's the biggest tire sale of the year through September 9th only. Buy two tires, get two free. Now at Big O Tires. Big on service, guaranteed low prices. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back on SportsBKC with Vahe Gregorian and Sam Mellinger. We're going to talk a little football now. And the question on the table, Chiefs at Green Bay Thursday night, fourth and final preseason game of the season. Will these be the final fourth preseason games in NFL history? Vahe. Of course, the first thing I would say is we can only hope. And I guess we've got the uh, uh, the collective bargaining agreement. Am I saying that right? Coming up uh, in the spring. It would seem that one way or another this is getting out on the table, right? Because there's been certainly uh, – ownership floating the idea of, of a 18 game regular season and, and shrink wrapping it to, to two preseason games. I do like the, the Mellinger doctrine on this, the idea of why do you need to add two in the regular season to, to take two off the table in the preseason? But of course the, the lingering question is always gonna be the, the money that, that can be charged in here. Blair, we were talking about this recently and, and I remember you you reminding me of the fact that it used to be six preseason games. Six preseason games. And am I remembering right? Was the Super Bowl winner playing the college All-Stars, and was that a seventh game? Yes, that that happened until the, <laughs> I think into the late seventies. What were they smoking? What a crazy idea. <laughs> I, 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 it's, so it seems ridiculous now to have four. And, Can you and, imagine today? I'm sorry, but like the no. idea, I forgot about that part of it, the idea of like. Part of winning the Super Bowl is that you now have to play another game and come against in two some weeks college earlier. kids. Right. And, and, and I remember being a kid loving that game. I, I just couldn't oh, wait to I'd, see that game. Oh, I'd watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you'd watch it. But look, it, it's and and 
as much as it's tempting to be just talking about our own benefit from this, about how a few writing opportunities we perceive off of these preseason games, (laughs) it's terrible for the fan experience, I think. I know there's some diehards, right, that are like, you guys are dopes. Uh, you know, there's so much drama in these, you know, the, that 52nd and 53rd job. It's like, really, it's not that much drama. And how much more are they learning than they would learn uh, from just two games? Uh, well, just reprioritize who you're playing when. First of all, Blair, can you ask that question again? I just want to hear it in my ears again. <laughs> Sam, the question to you now is... This is like a lullaby. Keep going. <laughs> Will this be the final uh, week yeah. of fourth preseason games in the NFL in NFL history? That's the good stuff. That is the good stuff. I just sense um, a, I, I sense a different vibe this year. I do too. Than, yeah, than yeah. I have in previous years. About um, this. You know, to underscore what Vahe just said, it, it is incredibly important to to you know fifty one through fifty five on the roster, but like the numbers don't lie about TV ratings, attendance. You know, there's some people that care deeply about it, but they're going to care deeply about whatever. I mean, this is about, at some level, entertainment value. And, you know, spoiler alert, like, if they do take away two preseason games, it will not be a money loser for the NFL. They they will figure out a way um, to get that back, whether it's by, um, I wonder if you could, if you're going to add to the regular season, um, it's, again, it's, it's hard to do that and still pretend that you care about player safety. But what if you added one game um, and and added a bye week? And, you know, some teams will have, um, I saw a coach, um, and now I can't remember, an NFL coach said, you know, we, a lot of teams, the Chiefs don't do this, but a lot of teams have, you know, what do they call it, joint practice or, you know, scrimmages. Right, right. Chiefs used to, to do it when they were in Wisconsin. Yeah, with the Vikings, um, you know, uh, televise those. You know, you can sell that. Um, and, and so maybe th- between that and one more, regular season game, maybe that's more revenue. I, I know we, we always talk about like ticket prices being the same in, in the regular season, but you know, they make a hell of a lot more money. And if the NFL makes a hell of a lot more money on a regular season game um, than a preseason game. So there does seem to be, um, you know, for the first time that, that I can remember, and not that I've been around for forever, but um, you know, sort of an acknowledgement on both sides, certainly from the player side in some ways, but, but also from the owner side that um, you know, this is just too much. We don't need four. I wonder what the implication for for training camp would be. Um, you know, would, would they would they start about the same time? Would they would they shave a week off of that and maybe start a little bit yeah. later? I guess it would really depend on what they're going to add to the regular season, right? right? That, if they right. if they do, and and I, you know, circling back to Sam's point, which really should be the point underscoring all this, the idea of player safety. I mean. You would think that maybe it does tighten the tighten that window, right? It, that would be part of the overall discussion. Um, not not that, and not, not that this had anything to do with preseason, but the the enduring image of 2019 NFL preseason is going to be fans in Indianapolis booing Andrew Luck as he left the field <laughs> when word got out that That's he right. was retiring. Um, not not exactly the image that <laughs> no, right. you want to sell, right? If you're the NFL, so. and and you know one thing you. You've written about it kind of extensively, Sam, but you got into a lot of the a lot of the numbers and a lot of the the, the prime names in the game have been held back much more than ever before. Mm-hmm. There's a little part of me that wonders if there if if this is just kind of a rigged up way to start driving that. Well, nobody's playing anyway. 
So, yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's a little part of me in the back of my mind wondering, like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Well, uh, a little collusion on, on this. <laughs> the league is getting younger, um, in particular with head coaches. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Rams and the Bears are two of the teams that, that are full on don't play anybody in the preseason. And Sean McVay, I think, I'd have to double check this, but I think he's 14 years old. And Matt Nagy <laughs> is in his 30s, I think, still. And, you know, I think as the league gets younger, and you never know, like different people have different perspectives, but as the league gets younger, that sure seems to be like, what are, what are we doing? Like, why, why, are we, why are we beating these guys up all the time? It's actually good to get a fresh perspective mm-hmm. on this from, from coaches like that. And, you know, this is sort of the same thing you said, but I think of this all the time that there's at, at some point it's, you know, the emperor is wearing no clothes and, and we just keep doing things because it's the way we've done it. <laughs> right. Well, then you stop and pause and say, why? Why? Yeah. If, I, if memory serves me, it took a storm of biblical proportions to end that college all-star Super Bowl game. I think this one of those Steelers teams was in it, and a storm blew through Chicago, because it was always at Soldier Field, and a storm right. blew through Chicago when they ended that game in the third quarter, and, and hasn't been seen since. And they didn't pick up the suspended game later. <laughs> blew both teams into Lake, into Lake Michigan. So, so okay, um, hey, it's, it's uh, there were a couple of college football games last weekend, but this is the first full weekend of college football. I kind of like it because if the NFL doesn't play after the Thursday night exhibition games and college football has, for the, for the only time this year, it has the weekend all to itself. I think it's pretty cool for the colleges. And there's some, you know, uh, some, some stories with our, with our local 11s, uh, two new coaches, right, at, at uh, Kansas State in Kansas. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of optimism at um, at Missouri, Vahe, you and I spoke to Jim Sterk yesterday on the uh, the uh, occasion of the announcement of the Missouri-Arkansas game coming to Arrowhead next year. Um, I think the, the 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 most newsworthy thing to come out of that, other than the announcement itself, was you asked Jim Sterk about the the bowl ban, and I I, I don't think I've heard him as optimistic as as he was when I when you yeah asked him. I did feel like I mean he had there maybe was an asterisk or two in there, but I do feel like. Uh, he felt like if they're making the right decision, of course, it's – and they've sort of had that stance all along, that the right decision is one that favors Missouri here. But I think he also seemed to feel that some things he saw in the Mississippi State um, findings the other day and the, the punishment played to their favor. Now, what we don't know is that reflected a process that was changed, tweaked after Missouri was already in this. So, you know, is that in a separate silo of some sort? He thinks not because the context is still an NCAA context. What are you saying to the membership? I think it's a and, spirit of the rules kind of thing. Yes, and, absolutely. And Sam wrote a, a, a terrific column right when this first came out. I mean, just noting it for the farce that it was. I mean, for the, a penalty to, for one rogue tutor that they that the school, by all indications, acted as promptly and admirably as, as it could, and, and then this. So, um, so that's that's fascinating though in itself because they have to play anyway and he he did say he thought it could last until november, november and he was but, using a an example old miss waited yeah, until november a year right. ago that's to, right to determine uh, to learn its fate but he but he afterwards we talked a little more casually and he he, he seemed to feel like he, he thought that there was a real chance it'd be solved in september but i've just been fascinated endlessly fascinated with how barry has from minute one, kept his eye on the ball and said, 
well, we're playing the games. We got 12 games, we got 12 opportunities. And I, I, maybe it's the only thing you can do, right? But, but he hasn't stopped to whine about it. He hasn't stopped to allow it to be something that's some sort of impediment. And I think the fact that no players transferred out of there when they could have in the yeah. wake of this news, it's real testimony to, to his reach with, with his team. Including the quarterback who transferred in, got the news, and decided yeah. to stay. Kelly, yeah. Kelly Bryant, yeah. the, the, the Clemson transfer. In his so, last season. Yeah, right? in his I final mean, season. Yeah. Could, could have had a free pass to go somewhere else, yeah. decided to, to stay at Missouri. So KU and K-State, Sam, opening up this weekend. Chris Kleiman at K-State. They're playing Nichols um, and KU with Les Miles. Uh, Indiana State comes in. Someone reminded me that that would have been a hell of a basketball game about 30, 40, 40, <laughs> yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. The Sycamores and, and Jayhawks. But um, what's the uh, any, any what's the more interesting of those two? Um, to me, it's K State, um, and and part of that is I, I just think they're they're more ready to go. Um, you know, I I think Skylar Thompson is going to be really good like I I think he's going to make a jump and you know be better than than I think people are expecting if I'm wrong about him I'm wrong about K-State um, but I just think that that's a that's a team that that might be able to take a step forward I, I like the climbing higher even when it happened I know K-State took a lot of criticism for that um, I like that higher then I think he's a good coach and I think he's a really good fit for for Skylar Thompson I, I think they can they can do some things a bowl game is is certainly within reach um, and you know maybe six seven maybe even eight wins um, KU I think there's more sort of uh, certainly national curiosity in less miles than than Chris Kleiman. Um, but the reason, and I'm curious. Like I'll watch um, if it's on TV. Is it on? Is it's it, on I'll tell you what. That's a, is it ESPN you, you Plus? That, yeah, that you think that's a just a throwaway question. But there's a it's a little complicated now yeah. because you have to buy a subscription to ESPN Plus to access both the KU and the K State games yeah. this week, this okay. week only. Yeah. But you're you're in for at least a month or whatever the terms are. Yeah. But that's new for the Big Twelve. They're unveiling their ESPN Plus package this weekend. I do have an ESPN Plus subscription. I will look forward to watching that. Um, but the thing, like for me with less, um, I just don't think that there's that much to learn from this game. And I I look at his road as a long one at KU. I think that. Um, I know they won three games last year, which, you know, for KU was was an improvement. But I think that the last coach took the job criticizing Charlie Weiss for going this heavy juco and leaving the cupboard bare. And then I think David Beatty got to a point of desperation and did the exact same thing. And I think that, you know, as much as we can talk about Puka Williams, who is a stud, won't play on Saturday, but but a stud. um, I don't think they have all that much talent there. And I think this is a, a really long Road. I, I'm just my expectations for KU this year are, are really low. long term. I'm probably more curious just because it seems like a you know kind of a wildly interesting situation there. Uh, but just Saturday, I think we'll learn more about K State than we will KU. And, and, they, and Kansas has recruited well in the areas yep. where you can measure that's true uh, how Kansas uh, f- progress of football of a new coach. They have recruited well, and, and Les Miles seems to you know he's generated excitement and exposure for for Kansas with. Yep. Uh, and, and that ESPN Plus subscription also entitles you to the 14, you know, show series of Less Miles at Kansas, whatever this thing that, that ESPN is doing. So, all right, guys, uh, great conversation. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Blair. Thanks, Blair.
Links to the stories we discuss can be found in the show notes on KansasCity.com, Facebook.com slash TrueBlue and the TrueBlue app. Thanks to producers Leah Becerra and Kathy Liu. Leah is doing double duty today producing Deep Background, the star's podcast for news and politics hosted by Dave Helling. The prospect of a downtown stadium with new ownership will be covered on that episode. Give it a listen. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, help us out by rating and reviewing SportsBKC. We'd love to hear from you, and your review could help us reach more listeners. Our next podcast will originate from Green Bay after the Chiefs meet the Packers on Thursday night. Hope you tune in then.